If we were to try to sum up and, and find the very essence of, of the chapter that we've just read together, I think it would be this. It's, it clearly reveals the pride of man in desiring to set up a false religion, false gods, and false worship. And we do see that, that there is a, a, a pride in King Nebuchadnezzar, and we see his pride being, being touched a number of times. And what is the reaction to pride? Well, we hear the voice of pride is anger. In fact, more so, rage and fury when his pride-filled and man-made religion or religious act is denied, is dismissed, is disobeyed. But that is the very heart of man. It's the very heart of all men uh, to invent false religion. The world is full of false religions and false ideologies because it is within the heart of man to invent these things, to, to uh, create religion and rituals and rules and regulations because man does not have by nature a true religion, a true relationship with God. Now we've all heard various people talking about a, that there's a God-shaped hole in man and that's not far wrong. In and through the fall that our relationship and our love and, and uh, everything to do with true, uh, a true religion ha has been damaged, has been removed, has been lost. And so man is seeking constantly uh, to, fulfill, to fill that hole. But not only to fill the hole of a relationship with, with God by making up their own gods, by making up their own religions, but also they've lost their righteousness, which is connected with the true religion. They've lost their righteousness, and so through these false religions and these, these false rituals, they seek to make their own righteousness, which is a self-righteousness and not a true righteousness. Any righteousness that a sinner has is by definition unrighteous. That's what uh, Calvin speaks of when he, in the first chapter of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he says that, that the heart of man is a perpetual factory of idols, always, uh, always coming up with new uh, and different ideas of, of, of who the true God is, or as we know, inventing new religions, and they are being invented even to this day all the time and true religion being twisted and manipulated all the time. So false gods, false worship, uh, uh, when we're considering what we have in Nebuchadnezzar himself, a, a pagan uh, worshipping all sorts of gods, his own god um, uh, being the god of Babylonia, Marduk. But we see also here he has set up a new image. But it is a false uh, image. It is a, a, an idol. And, and, and when we consider then the words false gods, false religion, false words, uh, false worship, what are, we, what are we considering? Well, the word false. These things are a lie. These things are not true. And of course, it is the very nature of fallen man to lie and to love a lie. And being devoted to such religious, self-righteous lies, man can become very, very devoted, very zealous in how they do these things. 
Once a, an idolatry has been set up, we know, if you know anything of religion in the world, if you know anything of the history uh, of religion, that, that those who do not bow the knee to this particular religion or to this particular ritual, this particular ideology, if they do not bow the knee to your fanaticism, well, they will and must suffer the consequences. Just consider not only from old Babylon as we see there 600 years before Christ, but think about today, what we have today. We have, we have Muslim and Hindu extremists who in their own countries at least will attack, will intimidate, will kill others that are not of that particular religion. And especially those who are of the people of the book, whether they be Jew or Christian. Marxist zealots have always been against religion, against true religion, but any religion, because they see it as a, as a, as a power uh, struggle, as something that would be against their own total power that they desire. And so they've always been against uh, religion in various ways, and various religions, whether they're true Christianity or false Christianities. But, but look at today, the zealots of the left in how they demand an unquestioning blind faith and blind obedience to all of their false ideologies, their false religions, feminism, feminism leading to sodomy, sodomy leading to transvestitism, transvestitism uh, leading to what they're trying to do with children these days. You say, okay, we understand, and from afar off we can see these, these various examples of, of false religion, but what about false Christianity? Just, I mean, there are many examples that we give. What about the legal, what about dead, um, uh, spiritually dead, I mean, legalists within the Christian church? They too demand a merciless conformity to their unscriptural ways. Legalism is not a scriptural way of living the gospel. Legalism is the saying, uh, uh, the blood, yeah, that has its role, but my obedience has its part also. That's idolatry. That's blasphemy. But when you don't obey their legalist rules, then we have a similar thing that we see with Nebuchadnezzar, that there is rage and you will be made to pay one way or the other. Let's go back to Babylon. Let's go back to King Nebuchadnezzar. And what he has done, he has set up a 90-foot-high golden statue on a flat, open piece of land. Why is that? For very practical reasons, that thousands and thousands can gather around it and in front of it. Now, there is no name given to this image. It's not given the name of a Babylonian false god. So we don't know if it was one of the existing false gods. It's not even described of what form it was. What, was, it a, was it a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself? It may have been, but it is not revealed to us in the scripture. In any case, it was an idol. It was an idol. And an idol is an image or a statue that is taken to be worshipped. And Nebuchadnezzar had passed a law that demanded and commanded that all the peoples, and of course we have an idea, he's speaking of his whole empire, 
because he talks about peoples and languages and nations, that they are to gather together at the sound of that music and they are to bow down and worship the image. Whenever he said so, whenever he, as it were, through those musical instruments, gave a call to worship, that they were to flock and bow down uh, before this image. And it was not an optional matter. It wasn't something that if you felt like doing that you were to do. It was enforced upon pain of death. If you did not do, if you did not commit this idolatrous worship, then the king would kill you. And it wasn't any sort of death. It was a, a very clear, public and fearful death of being burned alive to a crisp in a fiery furnace. So consider a furnace. What, what would this furnace be? Was there a furnace that was made just for killing people? Maybe. Maybe the king Nebuchadnezzar had set this up as a, as a way of public, of public um, execution. Maybe it was a kiln. Maybe it was a, 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 a large furnace that they used for, for, for the mass production of pottery. And they had factories in the ancient world for producing pottery and all sorts of things. So a large sort of like brick building uh, with a chimney on top. Uh, and, and, and holes to let the air in and an entrance to bring the pottery in. And, and then what they would do is they would literally brick up the doorway uh, for, the, for the burning and the, 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 the baking of the pottery. But it is a place where great temperatures could be, uh, could be reached to do all these things. But the point of this is that you had no choice. You had no choice. The choice really and truly was to do what the king said or be burnt. But it's clear that Nebuchadnezzar did not take into account what the true living God thought of this. We don't see him consulting with Daniel. We do not see him consulting even with the three youths or any of the, any of the Hebrews. He did not consult because he did that which came up in his wicked heart. And that's what the psalmist says. And I think the psalmist in Psalm 10 and verse 4 describes Nebuchadnezzar at this moment. It says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And so where God is not in all of Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts, they're not the true God. The crucial difference is that God was in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's thoughts. Their first thought is that we cannot sin against the living God, and they, they did not go out into the plain. But more importantly, I would say this, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in God's thoughts. That God was looking, not only at them, but after them, and out for them. God had his eternal thoughts and his eternal affections upon these three young believers. So much so that he sent his son to save them from the furnace. To save them from the actions of a merciless and godless king. And that is, with the Lord's gracious help this morning, uh, the title of the message that the son delivers from the fire. The Son delivers from the fire. Let us briefly 
examine uh, our first point and looking at verses 18 and 19 of Daniel chapter 3. The wrath of the prince of this world, we see in verses 18 and 19. We could build these things out more than I will be doing so, uh, but this is a message really to prepare us for the Lord's table uh, this morning. The wrath of the prince of this world, we see this in verses 18 and 19. And in verse 18 we see, firstly, the, the rejection of godless worship. And for they say, but if not be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. God commands in the first of the Ten Commandments that we are to have no other gods before him. No other gods before him. You might say, well, this is laying down the basis that there is one true God, and we're only to worship the one true God. That's true. But also this, that we have the sinful tendency to put ourselves before God. That we give the priority of ourselves and our own desires and our own preferences before God. But God says, no, no, no. You are not to put yourself on the throne of your heart. You're to put me on the throne of your heart. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And in the second commandment, he says that we're not to worship him through the use of images and statues or any of these other matters. We're not to worship him in any way other than that he has commanded us. And they are the basics of true worship, that there is one true and living God, and he is to be on the throne of our heart, that we are to worship him only, and we are to worship him in the way that he has made clear in his word. And those basics of true worship, these youths had taken on board. No doubt they had been taught uh, when they were still in, in, uh, in Israel, in, Ju in, in, in the kingdom of Judah, before Nebuchadnezzar took them away with Daniel. They, they, they had understood these truths, the basics. That's why all the Reformed uh, confessions and, and the Reformers were all determined that, 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 that all those that were coming out of the darkness and the confusion of pagan Romanism would understand the basics. The basics of morality are the Ten Commandments. And so we see the Ten Commandments being taught and opened up in the confessional standards. And also how to pray. Well, the example of prayer is the Lord's Prayer. And there are other, other things that they would take on board as well. The Apostles' Creed, that we'd understand what are the basics of what we believe. But the Ten Commandments is not a, a list of rules that we grudgingly keep. And if you do that, then you are a legalist and you don't understand what they're there for. They are God's standards in how we are to live out of a life of thankfulness for saving us. And these two boys, these three young men had been well taught. And not only did they... Not only had they been taught it, but they had understood it and they believed it because they're carrying it out. Because here we have this, this threat of a furnace, the threat of a painful death. And they're saying, we shall have no other gods before Jehovah. We will not worship a false god. And hence why here the secular authority, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, even in a strange land far away from Jerusalem, far away from the, 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 the temple, even when this secular power uh, commanded that they should abandon true religion and on the pain of death uh, bring false worship to a false god, they had to obey, disobey. They had to say no. 
And this disobedience was not an act of rebellion against the king, because as we see in the words and how they speak to him, thou, O king. Let's just move to the the word where they speak to him. They they speak to him with, um, with, with reverence. They speak to him with respect. So it's not an act of rebellion. Uh, They respect his person. They respect his authority. And that's the difference. But we see that in the way that he is a king that is always to be obeyed, except when they are to disobey the king of all kings. And then then we have what we call not rebellion, but we have a, a disobedience, a necessary and unfortunate disobedience. Because the youths could not keep the king's command and break the Lord's commandments. And so the choice had to be made in spite of the consequences. So we see their rejection of godless worship. Then secondly, we see the rage that they had to endure. And we see that in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we see him already ranging in verse 13 when he, when he had first heard that these Jews, these three young um, Jewish men, that they were not obeying him. And we see there in verse 13, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded that they would be brought to him. So as I mentioned this self-righteous pride and false religion, it just brought forth a, 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 a frenzied anger that anyone would speak against him. Again, something we see these days in the Hindu extremists and the Muslim fanatics and in the Marxist extremists. And that's what we see here. But it's clear that he managed to control his temper when they did come because he spoke to them. He spoke earnestly with them. He attempts, as it were, to give them a second chance. Now, if you are, when you hear the sound of those instruments, and uh, then you will bow down, then all will be okay. But the boldness of their rejection is too much for him. So the king was attempting to be merciful, but his mercy was very short. His temper was very short. And so when they boldly reject his demands, they disregard his threats, they're not able to be manipulated by fear, he loses all self-control. And we might then say that he demands and commands that the, 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 the furnace, the temperature of the furnace be turned up to match his own wrath. Seven times more than it would be done. It was too much for him. It was too much for him, and so he wanted them dead. Those whom he, if you uh, go with me to uh, Daniel uh, chapter 2, in the very last verse, 49, it says, and, and then Daniel requested of the king, and he, that is the king, set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, one of the provinces of the great Babylonian empire. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So the king already knew of them to some degree and had appointed them to a great place. But now he was against them. Reminds me in some ways of the Protestant Reformation. 
and what the reformers had to go, in, go through in, 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 in dealing with the Roman Catholic authorities when they abandoned and they preached against Roman Catholic uh, practices of false worship. And they came and, and they could see that the things needed to be changed. Many things needed to be changed. In fact, it all needs to be changed. And that they instituted the Lord's Supper instead of the blasphemous mass. And they set up the preaching ministry, or they reset up the preaching ministry, going back to the apostolic times, instead of this priesthood. That they reestablished congregational singing instead of the choirs. And that they returned to, uh, to the singing of the Psalms instead of the papist religious anthems. Essentially, the simplicity of biblical worship instead of the rituals and the rites and the robes and the bells and the smells of the Roman Catholic drama. It itself being no worship to the Lord according to the word of the Lord. And the hatred of the Pope, the hatred of the Roman Catholic princes, the, the hatred of Roman Catholics themselves against the formers was a raging hatred. And that hatred really, in, in truth, has not really subsided. At times it, it seems to soften down and gentle down, but at other times it's, it is furious against them. And they were offended. The Roman Catholic Church, the papacy, was offended because their self-righteous false religion was, not a, uh, was no longer adopted by them. It was no longer done by them. But just like with Nebuchadnezzar, never once was their thought, is God pleased with this? Has God commanded this? Is it worship that God requires of my hand? The wrath of the prince of this world, and we could uh, bring in more truth about uh, him being a... Um, him being an example of Satan, that Satan brings in with threats and intimidation all, false of, all sorts of false religions and false gospels and, and manipulates many that they would follow them. But for the sake of time, we'll pass over that. Secondly, we see after the wrath of the prince of this world, we see the fiery judgment upon them. The fiery judgment upon them. And we see that in verses 21 to 23. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hose, and their hats, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the fire of the burning, fiery furnace. The punishment was immediate. He'd promised it. He said, within the hour, within the hour of anyone disobeying me uh, in that command that they would worship, uh, give false worship to a false god, that they would be burnt. And so no time was to be spared in, in punishing these, these Jews, these, these that truly believed in the true God and in true worship. No time was to be spared except, we could say, in stoking up the fire. That it would be seven times hotter than it normally would be. But see that they were bound up in the clothes that they were wearing. And what is this emphasis on the clothes, the coats, the hose, and their hats, and, and other garments? Well, these were 
These were in the, in the empire and the kingdom of Babylon. These were administrators, regal administrators. They had their regal garments on. They had their, 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 their coats, their, their, their hose and the trousers, the, the sort of like pajama bottoms and uh, equivalent, and their, their, their hats and all the other garments. They, they were still wearing their, their official uh, clothing and they were just bound up in it. The coats, the cloaks, the trousers, the hats, the turbans, whatever, whatever things that they had and any other belts and any other scarves and any other, uh, maybe a sash of office, all these things, they were just, it made no difference. They were, they were tied up on the spot immediately because the king had haste to get them killed. And of course, humanly speaking there, they were wrapped in kindling. Wrapped in kindling, thrown into the fire. And those things were the first that would catch fire in the heat. So the punishment was immediate, but the heat, secondly, was overwhelming. The, the heat was overwhelming because it was, it was far hotter than usual, that even those strong and mighty soldiers that carried these three youths to throw them into the fire, that the flame caught them. The heat of the flame caught them, and that they died instantly and on the spot. And so much so that it says that, the, that they, were th they were thrown in as they were cast in, but it really and truly, you get the idea that they fell down. They fell down as these men were carrying them in, in some way that they died on the spot. They collapsed in death, and, and these three men were therefore thrown into the fire, dropped into the fire. And yet they are protected from an instant death. We see that. The three great, strong, healthy soldiers die immediately, but these three youths are still alive. They're alive long enough that they see that the ropes that are holding them are burning away. And they're seeing also with the flames around them that the skin is not burning off, the flesh is not coming off. In fact, they, they are experiencing seeing that which the king and his counselors later see, that there is no singe on anything. So we say even if there was a feather in their turban, that the, the ends of the, of, of the feathers are not being touched by any flame or heat. There is no singeing even of the hairs on their arms. They're protected. It reminds me of the words of Psalm 91 and verses 7 to 9 where the Lord says this, A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Here we see then in those verses that the Lord has been pleased to, to protect them. They were, they were honest before the king. They weren't duplicitous before the king. They said to the king, we cannot and will not we will not obey your commandment. And it may be that God will save us. It may be that he might not save us. Verses 17 and 18. And they were honest. They weren't making any religious claims. Oh, God will definitely help us, as some do these days. It's up to the Lord. The Lord is still sovereign. He may save us. He may not save us. But we see here now that the Lord supernaturally saves them from the power of the furnace. 
but he could have naturally saved them also through death. But he chose the former. He chose the miraculous, the Lord chose the miraculous option, and that is suddenly very clear to the, to the youths. Especially as these soldiers collapse under them, and they, they are still fine. And they, they're cast into the fire, and the, those things that we've already mentioned. So we have the wrath of the, of the prince of this world, the fiery judgment that's upon the youths, and thirdly and finally, no, thirdly but not finally, the Son of God in the furnace. The Son of God in the furnace. So King Nebuchadnezzar, instead of sitting down and enjoying the spectacle of these youths screaming in pain and seeing them writhing and however long that would last, he became immediately agitated. Verse 24 shows that. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar, not having any pleasure in, in, in seeing his, his, his wrath uh, being, uh, um, being put upon these youths, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He was astonished, fearful. And he rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. There were only three. And yet the king sees four. He sees four, and we see that. Then firstly, in looking at the Son of God in the, pres- in the furnace, we see firstly Christ's presence. Christ's presence. Verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, which means look, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So the men that carried them into the punishment are burnt away. The ropes that bound them are burnt away. And they they are now freely standing up and they're walking around unhurt. Nothing has touched them as they are within these thousands of degrees of fire all around them. But all of this they are able to do because Christ is with them. Christ is with them in the fire. He was with them already. He was already with them to give them boldness as they gave an answer to the king. He was with them before they even came into the furnace to deal with, to protect them from the fire and allow the fire to kill the soldiers. And he is now also with them to shield them from the flames and the fire of affliction. And here we see the glorious truth that God is very nigh to them that trust in him that call upon him, to desire help from him, to believe on him. Jeremiah 23 and verse 23, the Lord says this, Am I a God at hand, close by, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? He is indeed a God at hand, a God close by. But it is, we must, appear, and we must understand as we, as we read this, admittedly it was only when they were in the flames when they were in the flames of affliction, that the Lord appeared to them. He made his presence known to them. And that is so often the case, believer, when the Lord brings us into afflictions. They may be not as dramatic and physically damaging as this, but whatever afflictions that we can be in, it is often in the heart of that affliction, in in, in the depth of that trial, that the Lord will reveal himself to us. And help us to understand that we, and it, he helps us to uh, understand that, that it is him who 
It's he who call, causes us to call upon him because he knows our need of him. When we can see the hand of the Lord as we're unable to do anything, but that's true in any case, without him and without his help. Christ's presence we see, but secondly, we see Christ's power. We see Christ's power that uh, the Lord's merciful pre presence becomes a powerful protection. Because not one flame comes out to touch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and, and those of us who have been scalded by hot water or burnt by fire or put your hand on a hot plate or whatever it is, knows how painful these things are. Incredibly painful. But the flame does not harm them, does not touch them. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Psalm 5 and verse 12. As I mentioned already, the guards were not protected. Their physical strength did not protect them. Their false gods in whom they trusted did not protect them. Their king could not protect them. And they were also not protected by Christ, for they did not believe in him. Having just considered then the truth believer that Christ's presence is always with us and he's there to comfort us in the midst of affliction. He's in the midst of the affliction with us. But we must remember that it's not just that God's presence, that Christ's presence is there to, to give us comfort, but Christ's presence, Christ's presence is there with us in the midst of that, uh, uh, of that affliction to also bring us protection, to help us to have mercy upon us, to, to, to help us out of that situation and to help us as long as he keeps us in that situation. Even when it appears that the enemy has the upper hand, as it would certainly appear here, that the king and all his army, and, and there they are in the midst of the furnace, but to God it makes no difference. It is not too difficult for the Lord to come and presence himself and then show his power to help his people. And that's what we must not forget, that it is not just a comforting of the soul, but there is a power that comes out from the Lord to help. And how long will it take before the Lord will help? Well, we see here, it's within a matter of minutes that they're brought out of the fiery furnace, but it could be a long time. But don't forget, with the one comes the other. We have the presence of the Lord, but the power of the Lord also, in due course. So the Lord protects them while they're in the furnace, and he ultimately therefore brings them out of the furnace. So Christ's love, as we understand then, is not merely a felt emotion, but it is an active, powerful love that you are to experience and know and acknowledge and not forget. Christ's presence, Christ's power, thirdly, thirdly, Christ's propitiation. Christ's propitiation. 1 John 4 and verse 10 reveals the gospel aspect to that word, and we'll explain it in a minute. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So propitiation is not a word that we have on our lips every single day. It's maybe a word that we might struggle to define. What is this propitiation? I'll put it this way, Christ is the propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. And what is a propitiatory sacrifice? A sacrifice of propitiation is a sacrifice that pleases 
and appeases God so that his wrath is turned away. We could say that it is a wrath-removing sacrifice. That's, that's, a, that's a good, simple explanation for propitiation. It is a wrath-removing sacrifice. And how does it remove the wrath? Because it pays for sin, and it pays for guilt, and it's done in God's way, and it's been sent by God, the sacrifice that is the Son. And it takes away the wrath of God. It consumes the wrath of God. And that's what we can see happening here. In the fire, the Son of God himself is absorbing the wrath of the king. He's taking on himself the heat of the furnace so that not one flame touches the youths. Not one flame. By the power and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's what we may see and understand is that only three came out of the furnace. Where was Christ then? Where was Christ? We could say, well, Christ has has gone back up to heaven. That, that's, that's certainly true. But we may understand it in this, is that there were four in the fire, the three were protected, but one was consumed. All of the flame, all of the wrath was taken up by this Son of God so that the youths were saved. In fact, we can even have a hint of, of, the, of the, the, the wrath um, the, 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 the wrath ingesting and absorbing and taking of, of the Son of God in that Nebuchadnezzar was able to do that which the soldiers were not able to do just a few minutes earlier. He was able to approach the mouth of the furnace. Had, had the Lord reduced the temperature so much? See, the wrath of the prince of the world, of this world, the fiery judgment, the Son of God in the furnace, and we close with this, the gospel redemption. The gospel redemption. Be very quick as we come to the Lord's table. Verse 28 then. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. You know, in response to all that Nebuchadnezzar had seen, and we know he was astonished when he saw uh, that the youths were, were alive and well and walking, and then he sees himself and is given from God, I believe, an understanding that this fourth figure is the Son of God. He's given a little bit of light, a little bit of gospel light to, to, to realize and to discern that this fourth figure is the Son of God. But even now, more so, we could say, as, as we look at these, uh, as verse 28, that he's able to speak truths uh, which not only describe those recent events uh, where he is, but even more so speak of God's great gospel work. Because he says that there is a, a, a messenger sent. He said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that is Jehovah, who hath sent his angel. And that word angel there is, is a word that means messenger. And Christ is the angel of the Lord, and he is the angel of the Lord who has been sent, the, the messenger that was sent. He is, Christ is the prophet of God who has come to save his people from the punishment for their sin. And, and when we consider that God sending his son to pay for sin, we think immediately of John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, because there is a fire to come. There is a hell for the soul. There is a lake of fire for the resurrected wicked body. And so there is a furnace that, of God's own wrath that is to come for all those who are still outside of Jesus Christ, who are still in their sin and in their false religion or whatever it might be. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to take God's wrath, to take your hell from you and put it on Jesus Christ upon the cross. The messenger sent. Secondly, the servants delivered. Nebuchadnezzar carries on and delivered his servants that trusted in him. In fact, you can't have one without the other. You can't really have somebody called the servant of the Most High God if they don't trust in him. It's a description. Servants, not, not, not just the idea of, of doing that which God says, but also the idea of worshipping him. That they serve the Lord, they worship him, and they worship him by loving him and keeping his commandments. These, these youths trusted in Jehovah. They trusted in the promises of Jehovah, and Jehovah himself came and delivered them. Thirdly, the condemnation is also removed. We see that in verse 28 then. Who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, that believed in him, and have changed the king's word. The king's word was one of judgment. It was one of fury. It was one of punishment, and it was changed. How was it changed? How was that king's word changed? It was changed by the presence and the power and the propitiation of the Son of God. Romans 8 and verse 32. He that spurred not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He did not spare him under the flames and the heat of his wrath. But he took him, nailed him to a cross, and poured out your hell, and poured out my hell, onto the body and onto the soul of the Son of God. And his body is broken, and that blood was poured out, because Christ took our condemnation upon himself and therefore as we've looked at before there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus and fourthly they were saved unto service as we see here and it says and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God and this is the whole purpose and the whole point of salvation to be delivered from your sin and from God's wrath, that you would live as a new creation and you would serve God in His way, according to His Word, everything according to His Word. And where we see it's not according to the Word, but it's according to the flesh, then we repent of it and we live according to His Word, but by His power, of course. Titus 2 and verse 14 says that for us. It says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us realize how much of the wrath of God for our wickedness and our sins that the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself. And not that we were lovable, not that we deserved it, not in any way. 
but he had himself taken up as a full burnt offering upon the cross to remember that body broken and that blood that is poured out as a, as a sacrifice of propitiation and take away all the wrath of God away from us which means there's not even one little flame left over for us not one flame not one word of accusation the king of kings word against us of condemnation has been fully removed by the Lord Jesus Christ Hebrews 3 and verse 1 closes the message wherefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling consider the apostle and high priest of our profession Christ Jesus let us consider him today as our sacrifice for sin amen amen let's briefly pray Lord we do thank thee for thy word may thy word humble us as we consider the the glorious sacrifice that Jesus uh, took for us upon the cross oh Lord bearing our sin in his body and then the wrath the hell of God poured out upon him for all of his people a multitude that no man can number but Lord individually having taken our hell and there is no more he drank uh, the cup of God's wrath to the very bottom to the very dregs that there is no more and that there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus O Lord may that word comfort thy people and, and prepare our hearts for the for the table of the Lord may that word go out as a gospel word to draw others to Christ may that be a word of assurance and comfort to those who are unsure of their standing before the Lord Lord bless thy word to us prepare our hearts now to eat and drink a blessing to ourselves hear us in Jesus name Amen